You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. <laughs> so guess what I did today? What? I didn't really plan to, um, but I sat down to eat my lunch and I got an alert that Ethan Hawke and Maya Hawke were going to do an Instagram live conversation. You know who these people are, yes? Yeah, I know who they are. Okay, just confirming. For anybody that doesn't, Ethan Hawke is like legendary, legendary actor and his daughter, Maya Hawke, plays Robin in Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. And they went on an Instagram live together and she was kind of interviewing him because he just put out this new documentary on HBO called The Last Movie Stars. Huh. which I cannot wait to watch. I watched this live first today. It was just the best thing. Their relationship is so amazing. And she was interviewing him and like asking him all these questions about acting and life and different philosophies that he has. That's cool. And I just agreed with like every word that they said. And it was so good. Talking a lot about like how people like deal with life and cope with life using art like we've been talking about with labyrinth mm -hmm, and yeah. it was all in that vein wow and i thought it was so so great and it was really funny because for one thing they struggled to get the live going at first like anybody would i, I know that i would <laughs> i don't even want to mess with that but oh God. they, the they had trouble with it and they were kind of making fun of each other because neither of them really knew what they were doing but she before she started interviewing him she cracked me up because she was like i just dad like this is not a facetime you can't forget that there are like forty thousand people watching us right now like just answer the questions but remember that we have an People audience paying attention yeah it was really cute wow so that was fun um i think mm. it's still on ethan Hawke's instagram if you are interested in acting and how art impacts life that's just you know that's my shit that's my shit right there that's where you live, huh? everything about it it was good good I'm, I'm happy for you it doesn't have anything to do with our episode no today, it has though. nothing to do with our episode today. well it does because we're, we're here today to explore art from our childhood on <clears throat> that's, true. that's Pretty Dark. On That's Pretty Dark. My name's Christian. My name is Kaylin. And today we're not talking about the Hawk family. We're talking about Hey Arnold, The Haunted Train. Hell yeah. Get ready, y'all. Hell yeah. I found it really interesting. The first thing I noticed was that this is season one, episode 8B, which is the second segment in that episode. Yes. But I found it interesting because my last episode we did was The Nightly Neighbors, which was also season one, episode 8 Whoa. Yeah. Just serendipity that yeah, we're just in the doesn't right relate to anything right either. But Numerology or something. There's somebody yeah. out there that's like, yeah, that's right. Numerology. Get with it. Get with it. Some more numbers for your ears. Mm. IMDB says this episode released on November 6th, 1996. November 6th, But 1996. Hulu says it was October 9th, 1996. We can't trust anybody, honestly. We just need Craig Bartlett to come on and tell us. Absolutely, we do. And the Hey Arnold Wiki says... October 9th. Mm. So that's two sources that say the 9th. I tend to believe Hey Arnold Wiki. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. I don't know who wrote it. A wiki by definition. A lot of people. Exactly. Michael but Scott says that's how you get the best information. That's <laughs> where I get a lot of my information. <laughs> and speaking of the wiki, I'm going to reference that a lot in this episode. Pulled a lot of really great information about this episode from that site. So We love Hey Arnold around here. Ooh, we love it so we much, love especially the spooky ones. My God. Yeah, when I watched this back, I was like, I was number one, I was enthralled. Number two, I remember being enthralled as a child. Mm -hmm. Just mesmerized. I know. This one really stuck with me in a big way. 
I don't know. It was really cool to watch it uh, five times. In the past <laughs> yeah, we two were weeks. just before we hit record. We were talking about how Christian almost overdid it this week because he <laughs> just he was trying to osmosis the information and he would really just turn was. it on at random. The amount of articles I read. So it's really gonna haunt you now. It will. I'll never stop thinking about it. This train. I've been falling asleep to thoughts about this train. It's been it's been wild. <laughs> That's really not what you want in the grand scheme. <laughs> you know, not at all. Well, we have a lot to get into. Uh, so let's get chugga chugga choo choo and. Oh, of all here. <laughs> and you said you didn't have an intro for us today. I don't have an intro. Sandbagging. <laughs> I have no transitions here. But I will start us off with a few, you know, simple statements on ghost trains in general. Okay. The ghost train is traditionally categorized as a residual haunting, meaning the phantom train relives its last ride up to the moment that it wrecked and killed a bunch of people. Blech. And usually on the anniversary of the wreck. Mm -hmm. But there are instances where the haunting is considered malevolent, such as the urban legend in this Hey Arnold episode. Mm -hmm. And in these instances, the ghost train can also fit into the categories of intelligent hauntings or demonic hauntings. I don't like the sound of either one of those things. <laughs> those lines get a bit skewed. Yeah, it's just really interesting to uh, think about. Some food for thought. So basically, it's like most hauntings, it's either an echo of a tragedy, something that happened, something that left a big impression, or it's something else. There's something behind it driving it. No pun intended. Right. Hey, <laughs> which motives behind spiritual occurrences are very scary. I don't know why. It's always like, it feels so dark. No, I'm with you. But whatever form the haunting takes, this particular phenomenon is unique from other hauntings. And that it isn't necessarily the interior of the train that's haunted by some sort of spectral inhabitants. It's that the entire train itself is the apparition. Mm -hmm. That's an important distinction. Important. Ghost train lore has been studied and discussed for a very long time. And that's because ghost trains have been reported all over the world, especially in countries where train travel has been a prevalent form of transportation at one time or another. But we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. That will come later. So you'll have to listen to this really <laughs> great episode <laughs> before oh, we get there. Oh, man. <laughs> so stay tuned. I wish that train travel was more prevalent here. Are you kidding? Like high speed rail. We need a high speed rail so bad It would bad change here. everything, but that's capitalism. That's capitalism for you. Yeah. They want us to stay where we're at. <laughs> it's capitalism and misinformation and like people not realizing how great it would be for us. Oh my God. It's stupid. All right. So we want to hear the uh, IMDB summary? Yeah. All right. I'm always down for an IMDB summary. <laughs> <laughs> On a boring summer night, grandpa tries to liven things up by telling a story about haunted train number 25. Mm. Pretty sparse. That's it? On the detail. Oh, I, I, I don't know why I'm surprised. It's also, it's summertime, but it's not nighttime. No. <laughs> well, it becomes nighttime. It gets dark and Eventually. It's a day. It's definitely a, a boring summer day. Definitely a boring summer day. Here's my summary. Please. When Arnold and Gerald make the age-old mistake of wasting their own youths and finding themselves bored during the summer break, uh -huh. Arnold's grandpa Phil entertains them with a spooky story from back when he worked for the railroad. The story of the haunted train. On the anniversary of the train's last ride, Arnold, Gerald, and Helga search for proof at the old abandoned train station where they board a locomotive that takes them on a wild ride they'll never forget. There we go. IMDb should hire us, honestly. They really should. <laughs> we really just up that game. You know what else is crazy? I remember having summer 
you know, summer break back in those glorious days. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I would get bored, I guess. And I, I remember what it's like to be bored, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I realized watching this episode that I am so, so out of touch with what bored feels like. Me too. Because I don't get bored anymore. That's not something that happens to me. I haven't been bored in a very long time. I get restless, I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't get bored. I get existentially bored. Okay, maybe that. Sure. That's that's better. But like if I can be at home and I have nothing to do, that's a perfect night. Oh, yeah. That's not like boring. No. That's like amazing. I never not know what to do with my time. Yeah. Listener, do you as a grown adult get bored? Please tell us. <laughs> Please explain. If so, how? What bores you? What bores you? Hopefully not our podcast. <laughs> Hopefully that's why you listen to our podcast, so you can be not bored. bored. Exactly. You get pumped, (laughs) like we do. This episode was written by Josephine Naricho, who also wrote The Vacant Lot. Mm, I love that episode. Classic episode. Josie has many credits in the sound department, mostly post-production sound, including Newsies, Batman Returns, Pooh's Grand Adventure, The Search for Christopher Robin. Aww. Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Oh, I watched that so much as a kid. The Little Mermaid 2. Wow. Miss Congeniality. Oh my God. A Series of Unfortunate Events, the movie. I love that movie. The Ring 2. Bambi 2. She's the Man. I love She's the Man. Me too. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And Supernatural series. Wow. Right. Thank you, Josie. Thank you, Josie. For all of your contributions to my life. This episode was directed by two people, Julie Murphy and Tuck Tucker. Julie directed 13 Hey Arnold episodes, wow. including Wheeze and Ed and Stoop Kid. Hey. Stoop Kid. <laughs> Stoop Kid's afraid to leave. <laughs> I love that episode so much. <laughs> She's directed many episodes of the animated The Mask series, <laughs> which I loved. Danny Phantom, one of my all-time favorites. Oh, I love Danny Phantom. Evil Con Carne and The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. She worked in the animation department for too many things to name, but to give a few. Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, okay. Ah, Real Monsters. <laughs> ah, Real Monsters. Ah. <laughs> the Angry Beavers, Rugrats, Cat Dog, wow. As Told by Ginger, Fairly Odd Parents, Invader Zim, and over a decade of SpongeBob SquarePants. Wow. Yeah, she's she's a legend. She's the real deal. Wow. For sure. Love that. I I, I love how much overlap there is because it I know. clearly it just it all came from the same minds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that gives me hope <laughs> for my mind. <laughs> I know we keep saying that over and over. I just listened to our headless cabbie. Oh yeah, episode to make sure that today you, in preparation to make sure my notes. Yeah, I was comparing notes to, to give make sure. you guys new and exciting content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we were talking in that episode about how this world is so small, the animation mm-hmm. world, and how everything overlaps, especially you know, 20, 30 years ago. And that just keeps proving itself over and over because it was not brand new, as we keep saying, but there was a boom for it in the 90s, specifically. Mm -hmm. The other director for this episode, speaking of legends, is Tuck Tucker. I know his name. He directed or was the supervising director for 49 Hey Arnold episodes. That's all I know his name. (laughs) Including Downtown is Fruits, Mm. The Sewer King, Stinky's Pumpkin, Headless Cabbie, and Friday the 13th. Oh, Those yeah. are just the ones that I like needed to mention for the for the podcast specifically. Tuck Tucker. Tuck. Yeah, Tucker. I can I guess I can see his name in that font in the credits. Mm-hmm. For sure. He also directed Hey Arnold the movie and Hey Arnold 24 Hours to Live, the OG pilot wow, for the whole yeah. show in so 1994. He was on board very early. Very, very early. That's awesome. He did a lot of the storyboarding for Hey Arnold. 
he wrote eight episodes of SpongeBob and directed eight episodes of Fairly Odd Parents. Okay. But he has a lot of art department, like storyboarding artist credits mm-hmm. um, or like supervising storyboard, whatever. He was just a storyboard He was genius. getting the story where it needed to be. Right. The bridge between script to screen, especially in animation of this sort. Um, he did this for Alf, wow. Two Stupid Dogs, Rugrats, Ah Real Monsters, Up, The Lorax, mm. and the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. He worked in the animation department for The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, The Simpsons, and Despicable Me 2. So he kind of got his start potentially with The Little Mermaid. Like potentially, in yeah, back in the, kind of what the 80s. It. Was that the 89. 80s? Mm-hmm. So it could, could be he was kind of just getting in and doing like little... He had other credits before that, but I think that was probably his earliest, biggest thing he had done. Making his connections and everything. Probably really, really establishing him as a super kick-ass animator or like storyboard artist or whatever. Craig Bartlett loved him to get poignant for a second tuck tucker died mm-hmm. in december 2020 man at 59 years old that sucks oh that sucks so bad craig bartlett then made a pretty heartfelt post about him on his instagram which i follow and is great you should go follow craig bartlett oh totally yeah he's great he, he posts a lot of really awesome stuff he said talk was quoting a great friend a master draftsman a tireless practical joker, <laughs> a brilliant storyteller, the first one I reached out to when I began Hey Arnold because he was the best board guy I had ever met. Aww. I'll always remember him at his drawing board, arms blackened to the elbows with graphite, eraser shavings everywhere, bringing my characters to life. A killer work ethic, passionately into it. I'm so lucky I got to work with him for so many years. He gave and gave. I miss him already. My heart is broken. Oh my God. Rest in power. Tuck Tucker. Yikes. So that is legendary guy. That's oh, super Tuck. young, 59. Super young. Thank you, Tuck. He had so many more years to give to yeah, this that craft, is unfortunate. this art. Yeah. He has a lot of great stuff. I mean, I only named a few things he's done. So if you're interested in uh, an animation and storyboarding legend mm-hmm. and directing legend, go look this guy up. That's awesome. He should be remembered. I really love a lot of the things he did. He is responsible clearly for a lot of the style that we remember. Many of the things we, we love back. as kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another guy to add to our uh, our list of our list of inspiration. creative geniuses. Yep. I hope he's out there on the next plane riding that ghost train. He's on that ghost train somewhere. (laughs) He's here with us right now. Be with us right now, Tuck Tucker. We're talking about you, man. Oh, he hears us. He knows. As we discussed in our Headless Cabbie episode, Craig Bartlett had to have known early that he wanted to make urban legends an integral aspect of the societal and cultural makeup of Hillwood, Mm -hmm. which acted as a reverent nod to the sanctity of imagination and the adventures of youth. Oh my God, can we, we can go home now. I love the way you just said that. That was perfect. Are we done? <laughs> wow, we keep wrapping these up so early. I know. We're getting we good get at this. We get in, we get out. <laughs> in just the first season alone, we've got The Stoop Kid, mm. Field Trip, which features Lockjaw. Yeah, Lockjaw. Oh my God, Lockjaw, the yeah. turtle. <gasps> yeah. Oh, the graffiti little turtle. Yeah. I love Lockjaw. Me too. Oh my God. That breaks my heart. The List featuring the ultimate Saturday, mm-hmm. and no kids ever completed the list. I watched that because it you know, was the first segment for Haunted Train. Mm-hmm. It was good. Door 16, featuring the uh, mysterious Mr. Smith. Oh, Mr. Smith. like an FBI agent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Das Subway, where they get trapped on the subway at night. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that in Headless Cabby. Yes. As one of the, uh, the darker yep. episodes. It is one of the darkest episodes that they do. 
Weezen Ed. Also very dark. Pigeon Man. Dark and strangely poignant. poignant. It's yeah. been on the internet lately, and I keep thinking we should do Pigeon Man soon. The Sewer King with the Rat King in the Sewer. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, The Haunted Train. Mm. We're officially at the platform, boys and girls, thems and theys. Grab your flashlights because we're about to board this train, and it's going to oh. get pretty dark. It's going to get pretty <laughs> All dark. aboard! Choo-choo. I'm ready. Put me on the train. Chugga-chugga. Choo-choo. Like I said, Arnold and Gerald are bored. Bored? Heaven forbid. Grandpa makes up a story about a haunted train that still runs through town on the anniversary of its fateful last ride. Mm-hmm. Old Engine 25. While they eat ice cream on the stoop. It's so summertime. I love it. He gets ice cream from the ice cream truck and they sit the together. The Jolly Ollie Man. And eat ice cream on the this, stoop. I love this world. I love how I do it keeps too. being folded back on itself over and over. Oh my God. It's perfect. He says it was 40 years ago, making it 1956 because this came out in 96. Mm-hmm. As the story goes, as the engineer was pulling the train into the station... He went completely insane, sending the train barreling off the tracks at breakneck speeds. It's implied that the train wrecked, but Grandpa says the train and the engineer were never seen again. Mm. He says it drove right off the tracks and straight down to the fiery underworld. Every year since its disappearance, on the same night, Engine 25 pulls into the same station, luring unsuspecting passengers into its car, with a blinding white light that hypnotizes them, then overpowers them with the rotten egg smell of fire and brimstone, Mm. followed by a horrible, ear-splitting, otherworldly, inhuman music that shrieks and moans and sends a chill through your heart and takes these poor, unfortunate souls on a ride through the zone of darkness. And once the train rolls to a stop, they're greeted at the door by the red-hot demon himself. Mm terrifying it's so scary very very scary but there's more of this aversion to saying specifically hell yes or satan or the devil or whatever it's in my notes like we discussed in uh all dogs Mm -hmm. why do you think that is do you feel like say hell they don't say hell in all dogs and they don't say hell here and it's kind Mm -hmm. of funny gerald you know grandpa phil says that the, the train drove to the southernmost point. <laughs> yeah, no. So there's a <laughs> lot of humor like, here. I'm, 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 I'm skipping all the humor for the sake of the fear. It's like downtown. <laughs> you mean downtown? All the way downtown to the very most southern point. You mean that's right? Wow! He drove all the way to the South Pole. No. <laughs> it's very silly. Yeah, they they punch it with some humor to make it. But do you know why they have to? It's so violent. This is a brutal. Pretty dark legend. I was struck with the violence of it, the way that he drove off the track. And of course, you know, there are more politically correct ways to be than the insane person and the insane asylum and the stigma around like insanity or mental illness. However, I will say in the 90s as a kid, that idea scared me so much because losing control of yourself or someone near you losing control of themselves that is a frightening prospect. Well, see, that's been used for a long time, though. Oh, the whole so and so this this happened, and they they went they lost their mind. They went, they went insane. They went crazy. Uh, are you afraid of the dark? We yep talked about it. Too. We just talked about that. It's one of the scariest things to think of that you will lose control of yourself. That you yes. will no longer be who you are. Yep. It's this sort of ingrained fear we have, and then when you stop and think that there are people out there who 
don't have control of their own minds, it's yeah, it's it's rattling. It is. It is definitely. And I mean, we both deal with mental health issues, mm-hmm. so I guess maybe that's part of the reason why it does scare us is because we understand yeah. on a certain level the way that your chemicals can betray you, <laughs> the way that you know things don't always go where, how you'd want them to, or mm-hmm. the way that you can't always get everything in your mind in check. Right. So we know better than most. We're- the places that anxiety and depression alone can take you in your in your own mind. Mm-hmm. And that's just- I understand the going mad idea because it is, mm-hmm. you know, it can get to those points if you're not taking care of yourself. Having the racing thoughts you can't control and all of a sudden you're yeah. overreacting. Overreacting and driving a train to the fiery underworld. Things are getting out of control and you're like, I don't even have that serious of a problem, but jeez. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, as Grandpa Phil is telling this story- you are visually seeing representation of it. Well, for the train itself, we have the demonic red flame spewing out of the smokestack. Yes. It's the first thing you really see. The colors are so vibrant and scary. The mad engineer before death already has pale green skin, yellow eyes Mm -hmm. with stitches on his face. This is very Frankenstein's monster. It is, yes. The way that he's described in the novel... He has this like sallow, off-color hue to his skin, and he has these watery yellow eyes, and he's covered in stitches because he was literally stitched together from different pieces of corpses, right? Right. Yeah, he had definitely has a Frankenstein look to him. This guy's just an animated Frankenstein type thing, but he's a like a conductor of a train. <laughs> he's wearing glasses, he has a hat, and he has hair and everything. Do you know, also, I thought of Spongebob. Not Spongebob the character, but the, the show. The animation style? The the style of his character reminded me of Spongebob hmm. because there are characters that I think kind of have that look on Spongebob. And after he dies, the Phantom Engineer doesn't look much different. The stark differences are his clothes are tattered. Mm-hmm. His stitches are now bloody. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that, but they're red colored. Mm-hmm. And he's missing his right hand. Lost it in the crash. When the train wrecks, all that's left is the flaming throttle with the engineer's glove still attached to it. Yeah. So we have to assume his hand was severed mm-hmm. because when we see him again, like I said, he's missing his right hand. So for different reasons, different stories I've been working on, I have actually researched severed hands. Okay. For different- I'm going to pretend like that's a normal thing to say. Purposes. Hey, look, if you're a writer <laughs> out there, guys, you know what I'm talking about. You search for some weird things. You search some weird stuff. Me and, me and Luke, our friend Luke, we've we've exchanged <laughs> some strange we things like a, we've a had to- weird <laughs> Google off. What is yeah. the weirdest thing that you have to Google for a story? It's very weird. But there is such thing as severed hand symbolism. Oh. And it's actually very important for our podcast. Okay. It's very typical of villains to be missing their hand. Mm-hmm. Captain Scabby. We have Captain Hook. Captain Hook. And we have the hook-handed man of urban legend, just to name three. Mm -hmm. People have studied this kind of thing for like their theses, their thesis. Mm -hmm. Hands are symbols of humanity, Mm -hmm. turns out. Many a cave painting is just a human handprint. Yes. As we've seen. Fern Gully. Fern Gully. Man, it's all here. And if the hand (laughs) is a symbol of humanity, then the removing of a hand is a symbol of loss of humanity. Okay. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. You just did a thing that made me I did a thing. think about this much deeper. Many a criminal punishment or gang or mob related punishment was the removal mm-hmm. of one's hand. Mm-hmm. Chop it right off. 
So not only are you now missing your hand, which sucks, you also wear a permanent symbol that you had fallen from grace in some capacity. Is it like Levitical law to cut the hand off a thief or something? Is that biblical? Um, It has been customary for that to be your punishment for a lot of cultures at a lot of different points in history. I don't know about Levitical law, I'm sure. I think maybe what you're referencing is if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Oh, I know that If your one. hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. I yeah, think that's what that you're talking too. about. Probably. Yeah. It's just a common thing, but it could be a cool, fun thing for us to kind of track as we go. How many times- How many villains, how many times we see this in a dark place. Mm -hmm. A loss of humanity. Very interesting. I would also just say a loss of any like appendage. Peg leg pirates, you know, hook handed pirates, whatever, Mm -hmm. but it's typically the hand. Yeah. That is very interesting though. And I've told you this before, Christian, but for me- I guess we all have like things we notice or remember about people. And I've told you that I remember people's hands. Oh, like, yeah. I can still remember like my grandma's hands, my mama. I can remember like how her hands felt like holding me or the look. I don't know. Something about that. I always, if I think of somebody, one of the first things I can think about is their hands, how they hold things, like how they behave. That's really interesting. I don't know why, but it's been that way since I, as long as I can remember. There's somebody out there studying hands and how it relates to humanity right now who wants to pick your brain they need (laughs) to talk to you (laughs) i don't know when it started or how but that is a thing that i that i notice and remember and i can't draw to save my life but i feel like if there were a part of part of somebody that like i could draw from memory it would be Hmm. that interesting i'll Mm -hmm. point you in the direction of some of these uh these academic oh yeah i'd love to read about it (laughs) Honestly, because apparently yeah. sub- subconsciously, spiritually, somehow I'm very connected to my humanity and the humanity of others. <laughs> I'll take it. We also have, we see the blinding white light that mesmerizes those on the platform, mm-hmm. leading them onto the train like an alien abduction. We hear the, the theremin music, <laughs> very spooky sounding. I will also I say that hearing anything at all described as inhuman on a kid's show is odd. Inhuman. It's very odd. The word inhuman in general just skews me out. But to hear it on a kid's show, it's like, I feel like that doesn't happen all that often. And I feel like this is funny because Craig Bartlett must hate accordion music because it's described as this (laughs) inhuman, horrible, like ear splitting (laughs) music. Uh, it's so funny. I don't know. I love the accordion. Well, you don't but... love the saxophone, which is... I, no, I, I like, like the saxophone in jazz or like noir jazz. I like the saxophone always. Our composer, Jonathan, he does a lot of music with accordion. He He's does, actually very yeah. talented with an accordion. Absolutely, he is. Yeah. He's very talented with all instruments. And then as they get to the zone of darkness, the passengers see the fiery underworld through the train car window which straight up resembles an out-of-control factory fire. Yeah. It's quite alarming, actually. Again, the fire. The fire. The the images of fire in my childhood. Mm Mm-hmm. So many nightmares. And then we see the red-hot demon himself. He's this flaming silhouette. Like, he's completely dark. Very scary. With no discernible features, but he's literally on fire. Very scary. It's also quite... Alarming. Stop, drop, and roll, buddy. Stop, drop, and roll. You weren't in our classrooms in the 90s, clearly. <laughs> that stuck out to me, too. When I think of this episode, I think of seeing the fire through mm-hmm. the train car window. Because mm-hmm. it's it's like they're on some kind of frightening amusement park ride, which is how I always thought of it. So I was absolutely enthralled by one of the discoveries I made in my research for this episode. Please share. Have you heard of ghost trains as amusement park attractions? No. Okay. 
This is a lot of fun. Okay. And you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I'm here for it. So ghost trains are the quote unquote physical manifestations of the ghost train phenomena at fairgrounds and amusement parks. Oh, I think I know where you're going. A ghost train is another name for a dark ride, Uh which is an indoor amusement ride with scary themes. I worked on one of them. Yeah? Because you worked at the fairgrounds. I worked at Disney and the fairgrounds. Oh, Disney. We'll get to Disney in a second here. Yeah. (laughs) You take a ride in a boxcar on a train and look at scary scenes as you travel through the dark attraction, often using sounds, lights, and special effects to scare passengers. Mm -hmm. So I would personally say that all ghost trains are dark rides, but not all dark rides are ghost trains. People will argue with me on that, but that's just my stance. I I get where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I would have a caveat because the second part is obvious, agree. The first part, it may not be there in the definition, but I feel like for a dark ride, it is all intentionally done and... In the definition, there's the idea that it is a farce. It is set up to be a spooky thing for spooky sake. Dark rides are not necessarily scary. Not necessarily scary. The most nostalgic Disney rides are dark rides. Yes, because that was Walt Disney's thing. Yeah. That was what he was good at. There's Peter Pan's Flight. Love Peter Pan's Flight. There's Snow White, Winnie the Pooh, Splash Mountain, Mm -hmm. among others. No longer Splash Mountain, though. No, R.I.P. R.I.P. Splash Mountain. I'm not worried about it. It's going to be much better. (laughs) Much better. Tiana's Bayou Adventure, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be good. So those are dark rides, but I would say Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion are specifically ghost trains. Oh. hmm. They intentionally have scary themes. Okay. Like it's spooky focused. But I guess the thing that I'm hung up on with this is it's all a farce. Like I said, it's kind of a fake presentation. And that's not necessarily true of a ghost train, right? A ghost train just is what it is. Well, no, the I mean, the ghost train... The purpose is to scare, to frighten. There's this really kick-ass article from Movies and Mania called A Short History of Ghost Train Rides. They say if you go to ride a ghost train and you think it's supposed to be scary, you're missing the whole point of a ghost train. Hmm. They're meant to be cheesy, farcical, yeah, okay. over-the-top. Really terrible special effects. Like okay. it's meant to be so this the, okay. As nostalgic, I, old yes. school, like, I'm with you. oh, that's an animatronic. That's not real. Mm-hmm. The paint's chipping. Because that's that was my like understanding of a, a dark ride, but I a ghost train is that also. Yeah. We're on the same page. Where these rides came from, there's an old, old American amusement park ride called a pretzel ride. That you ride and eat a pretzel? No, it's it's just <laughs> it's just the way like the momentum and the flow of the way the ride works. Oh, you're sort of like, like it turns you into a pretzel. Yeah, sort of weaving around and around it's and like around a, and looking like, like a circle. The, or mouse craze or whatever. Kinda, something like that. Primeval Whirl, for those of you who are Disney aficionados and remember <laughs> that in Animal Kingdom. Shout out to you, Courtney. <laughs> My roommate used to work there. So the first of this kind of attraction is literally called Ghost Train at Blackpool Pleasure Beach in Lancashire, England. It originally opened in 1930 as a single-deck pretzel ride by a man named Joseph Emberton, who named it after a popular 1923 play called The Ghost Train, Wow! written by Arnold Ridley. This particular attraction has seen many changes over the years, but the one lasting element is the haunted nature of it. 
the spooky scenes you pass through as though riding some sort of spectral locomotive through time and space, witnessing various accounts of horror throughout the ages. Okay. That's what I needed. I'm, I'm on board with you now. You're on board? Choo-choo. <laughs> <laughs> Chugga-chugga. Choo-choo. All aboard, y'all. There's even a really fun, like, haunting ghost story to do with the attraction. Uh, paranormal activity has been reported by many guests and staff over the years, mm-hmm. and it's said to stem from a former ride operator who was known to have worn clogs. So today, he's known only by the name Cloggy. <laughs> Oh, no. It's funny. Cloggy's coming for you. I hate the sound of, oh, yeah, that must be old Cloggy again. That's rough. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like that at all. I hate the sound of that name. <laughs> but Yeah, I'm picturing what you mean by ghost train now. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of, there are, they call them haunted mansion in some like fairgrounds and different groups yes. that travel yes. fairs. It's that exact idea where it's a continuous motion or, you know, one train that you load and you send through on a loop. And it's meant to be like pop up, <laughs> scary. Right. Thing. It mm-hmm. has been done over and over now through all these amusement parks. And it was called a ghost train. Yep. Called ghost train. Wow. Tell us the ones, tell us your favorite ghost train. The Haunted Mansion in Disney World. Well, I mean, Walt mine's Disney the Haunted World Mansion. But for, Haunted Mansion. for people who like, if you like carnivals or fairs or whatever. Oh, man. You know. It just, those are fun to go on, especially for me, because the older that I get, the uh, more motion sick that I get. There's only so much I can do. Oh, same. So We're those the same. are always a fun, you know, let's go to the fair and ride this thing. Mm-hmm. That's a safe choice. If you can eat a pretzel on the ride, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a bad guess. <laughs> so ghost trains, these rides, remind me a lot of this episode specifically because it's all about the experience of taking a haunted ride on old Engine 25, which is comprised of sights, sounds, smells, and fear. So I'll get more into train lore and phenomena as we go. But many of the articles and blogs I found put a lot of emphasis specifically on what can be seen from a train's window while in motion. Okay. I'm going to get to that at the very end after I finish the episode. Mm -hmm. It's just too much and would interrupt the flow of the episode so far. Okay. I'm with you. So Grandpa Phil tells them that tonight is the 40th anniversary of Engine 25's last it's ride. The 40th anniversary. I'd sure hate to be at the old train station tonight. Oh, the one on 53rd past Livingston. You know, next to the tire shop there. <laughs> like selling the fear and the oh, excitement yeah. of actually going to the I, old train I station. Would, you know, I wish I could paint that fence. I wish I could paint it, but I just can't. You really, you'd be missing out if you didn't paint it. Well, so much for being bored. So good. because And honestly, that's another one of those moments where you see that humor for the grown-ups was also built into so much of the humor for kids in, in the 90s. I'm like laughing out loud. Yeah, me too. Watching this. <laughs> it's so good because everything is so um, tongue-in-cheek for him. Oh, everything. But as a kid, you take what he's saying just as they do, kids in the in the show, you take it at face value. Whereas as an audience member watching it, being a little bit older, mm-hmm. you see his... <laughs> You see through the guys. Boy. Mm-hmm. He just wants to entertain, which is really cool. It's a common thread too with this with the show because Arnold's go-to line, he always says I mean, My grandpa has been known to stretch the truth. He does. He says it here. He says it again with Haunted Cabby. Yep. Headless Cabby. Every time the story came from Grandpa, and we see so many of his like old narratives, his old stories, Mm -hmm. that if you look at the detail and the history, none of it lines up. He's making all this stuff up as he goes. Right. 
just to tell stories. And entertain his grandkids. And entertain his grandson and his friends. And I think that's great. I, I hope I'm that it. cool as a grandpa. I know. He's the coolest. If I ever have kids, I hope that's where I go with it. <laughs> but you know, all the kids are gathering around and Helga's there. She wants I want physical, physical evidence, evidence, infrared photography, ectoplasmic samples, visible energy fields. That cracked me up. <laughs> More of these guys doing their research are like, hold on, so you know what? We should actually name some realistic ghost hunting stuff. Like, let's go find what people actually do. Maybe they were ghost hunters themselves on the side, you know? Maybe we're all a little bit ghost hunter deep down. I, I think that's true. And Arnold essentially dares her to meet them at the train station that night to prove she isn't scared because she's being all tough. So they say they'll meet at the old train station one hour after the streetlights come on. So good. Which I thought you would specifically appreciate always because you're all about the like street lights and everything coming on in dark that's always the cue how much do you know about ectoplasm only what i really learned from ghostbusters <laughs> uh i would say the podcast and that's why we drink love those guys mm. they did a really cool episode about seances and ectoplasm and Ooh. talked through that whole phenomenon and that whole time i do know it. if i i don't know if i believe it but i know it's oh, been re- no reported. they definitely go through what some people used to emulate what they called ectoplasm. ectoplasm but it's interesting pretty cool god helga knew about it <laughs> <laughs> so the three of them arnold gerald and helga meet at union station which is the name of the old abandoned station you can see it painted across the top mm-hmm. i love the aesthetics of this abandoned station i love the aesthetics of the show in general we got broken down train cars just hanging out on the tracks out front we got spider webs boarded up windows Spider and doorways. Spider Helga just willingly walks straight through. Like, she saw them, right? Oh, no. She does it to prove that she's tough. I thought so. And then she waits for the boys to leave so she can freak out. And yeah. When I watched it again, though, I was she like, does it she on purpose. see it. Okay. Good. She's just always trying to, like, make Arnold think she's bad yeah. for some reason. I, I mean, it's because she's in love with him, but... I was going to say, we know why. <laughs> we know why, <laughs> but I don't, I don't get why. That's what you do when you're in fourth grade. This place is totally dark and abandoned, but they've got their flashlights. So it'll be all right. Just like us. Just like us. We all have our flashlights. <laughs> so Gerald throws a rock and disturbs a bunch of bats, which fly out and we see the clock tower. You summon your bats. Summon the bats. We see a time shift and now it's midnight or the 13th hour, as we just discussed yes. in our labyrinth series. Yes. The veil is thin. The veil is thin. That phrase gets to me. Speaking of thin veils, let's veer off the rails of the main line for a brief detour through the eldritch metaphysical countryside that is liminality. <laughs> let's go. Have you heard of liminality? Um, yes. The word liminal? Liminal, liminal space? Liminal space, Bo Burnham also. That's just what immediately pops into my head. He mentioned that? Sacco. Okay. Sako lives in a frightening liminal space between dead and alive in the sock drawer. Then you're going to love what I have to offer here. This is what I spent more than a week researching. I just got into the depths of the internet. I read so much about liminal space that it began to hurt my brain. Wow. So full disclosure, I want to (laughs) do an episode on liminal space specifically. I have like four pages right now of liminal space notes that uh-huh. I'm not going to get into. Oh, man. I went okay. through today and took out a lot of it. Well, or maybe we can, you know, when we get this Patreon thing happening. Maybe we'll do a specific Patreon liminal space episode. That'd if be you dope. care about liminal space. Mm. And you better if you listen to our podcast because... We like that shit. It weaves into 
everything that we do. <laughs> okay, but I'm going to get into specifically what affects this episode and our podcast just on a minimal scale here. I first got really pumped about this episode because Henry from Last Podcast on the Left once talked about his increasing fascination with train tracks and trains as liminal spaces. I had no clue what he was talking about at the time. And even he said it was too much to get into on whatever episode they were doing. <laughs> After doing my research, I fully agree. Okay. Big agree, hard agree. It's too much. <laughs> the, the internet, the internet is so much on the internet about liminal space. The internet is large. It's a big, big world out there. It's a big world. World Wide Web. So I really want to get into this for this episode specifically, because in theory, this is what makes the phantom train possible, but it's also what makes like any haunting possible. Mm -hmm. In theory. The space in between. Mm -hmm. As you said, the veil is thin. The veil is thin. A liminal space is any space that exists between two states of being or as a transition between two locations. Mm -hmm. So this can be physical, psychological, or metaphorical. Uh, I think of airports. Uh-huh. Keep going. I think of waiting rooms. Yep. Yeah. Oof. Phoebe Bridgers. It's basically described as a waiting room. Yeah. A, a spiritual space is just where you're you're neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. It's but it's not quite purgatory. It's no. it's like a step back from a purgatory where it's like this liminal. It's it's like a a Schrodinger thing, if you will. Mm -hmm. You're not here. You're not there because you didn't look. Or you you're you not don't... in the box. You are in the box at the same time. Yes. We are the box everything. doesn't exist. We are both. Yes. <laughs> there yes. is no box. There is no box. <laughs> there was never a box. We've been lied to. What's in the box? What's in the box? Surely not his cat, for sure. Definitely not that. My cats are on my bed right now taking oh, snooze. <laughs> Buzz was just chirping outside the door. Oh. So the word liminal comes from the Latin word lemon or limon, however you want to say it, meaning threshold. Yes. The threshold is a place of entering or beginning. In between. Mm -hmm. In between. Thresholds have a lot of uh, lore around them too. Mm -hmm. Go listen to our Nightly Neighbors That's episode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how many times we've done that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it all crosses over. I, I these, do love that there's here so to much crossover. We're here to unwrap these themes and break it down. We're breaking it down. Mm -hmm. So a liminal space is the time between what was and what's to come. It's a place of transition, whether it be a season of waiting or standing at the precipice of the unknown. Mm -hmm. You gave a few examples. A couple more are elevators, yes, stairwells, mm -hmm. parking lots, mm -hmm. rest stops. I'm really into this, by the way. Okay, you, you I thought sold so. Me. I figured you'd get into <laughs> it once me. I started. Yeah, this is why I this is why I took a week longer to research this episode <laughs> than planned. Yeah, so you did. we're recording like a week later than we had initially. Meant to. Yeah. I've also heard liminal spaces described as relating, quoting, to the unique feelings of eeriness, nostalgia, and apprehension. Because it's it's the pre-knowing. You don't know yet what is to come. Mm -hmm. It's in that travel space, right? In an yep. airport. Yep. I, I've had some trippy, <laughs> very, very strange airport experiences. I will say that too. And it makes me think of this. Yeah. Like traveling overseas when the time differences and the jet lag and my motion sickness. So I'm taking yep. medication for the motion sickness. Yep. So it, my head is already kind of jumbled. And so you have all those things compounding and then you're in a place that you've never seen before mm -hmm. in an airport trying to get from point A to point B, which is just one travel uh vehicle one airplane to another <laughs> lots of traveling involved in the liminal 
psychological, it, spiritual, physical headspace. It gets very weird in, in, a, in that headspace because it's like, where am I actually? Where am I really? Where am I? <laughs> Save all this goodness for our liminal space episode. Okay. Because okay. now you're talking about the stuff. I want to get into all the stuff that I have We're gonna crossed relate out. It. We're going to relate it to trains. We're going to go back to trains. trains. We're doing specifically trains today, which is, Mm -hmm. I had to realize that at 1 p.m. this afternoon when I sat down (laughs) to go. Today is for trains. Today is for trains. Tomorrow, perhaps something else. But you're on the right track with your plane travel headspace. Because train travel, same thing. We just aren't, it's not as common for us here. But before we get to trains, even coming of age stories are classic tales of liminality. Yes. Oh, oh. You're not quite an adult, but you're no longer a child. So it's not only your teenage years, your developmental, ambiguous existence, feeling invisible and lonely and whatever, but this also equates to midlife crises. Yeah, when you're in between. So which that got me down a rabbit hole in my own brain. I was like, what if your teenage years are just an early life crisis? I mean, it is. It's a crisis of identity. Anytime you have that transition. An existential early life crisis that we just... We just write off and say, oh, you're just being a teenager. Right. We need a lot more help than we actually get. <laughs> no, I've – it's it's also being a toddler. I don't have children, but I have friends who have children, and I've looked into this, like, developmental stages. Yeah. Being a toddler and being a teenager, very similar, like, mm-hmm. developmentally in your brain. It's wild. Because you're going from one, like, fully dependent to independent in both cases mm-hmm. on different scales. And that liminality is – difficult. <laughs> it's hard. It's wild. I, I hope you know that I like your point so much that I didn't even start to sing Britney Spears when you said that <laughs> earlier. I almost did. And I thought, no, this is too good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Who, me? <laughs> so yeah, you mentioned waiting rooms. Mm-hmm. I would add the pandemic as a global liminal state liminal sp- of the yeah. collective unconscious. Absolutely. Is the sense of dread felt by almost everyone, the loneliness and doubt and fear we all experienced. All together and separate. We existed in a sociological waiting room for more than a year. And still are existing, by the way. Yeah. People hate the liminal space we've been in so much mm-hmm. that they're pretending that it doesn't exist. That it doesn't even exist anymore. That COVID's gone. Yep. When it's really uncomfortable. It's it is uncomfortable back, by definition, really and truly. It is. It's uncomfortable. It's typically not a great it doesn't feel like a great place to be. I get that. It's never fun to be in a liminal like space. It's not fun. Just ask Sako, <laughs> Bo Burnham's puppet. <laughs> in architecture, liminal spaces are defined as the physical spaces between one destination and the next. We got Hallways, airport terminals, like you said, mm-hmm. streets, highways, empty subways, bridges, and railway stations. Mm-hmm. The veil is thin, making them skewed from reality, and they often act as a portal to another realm. We have dusk and dawn, solstices and equinoxes, May Day and Halloween night. Mm. That's why these types of spaces fit so well into dark entertainment, because physical liminal spaces are places that embody these feelings of change and emotions of stress. Mm -hmm. Graveyards, haunted houses, Mm -hmm. crossroads, to name a few tropes. Hotels are perfectly liminal because you're living in them, but you don't live there. And passenger trains often act as portable hotels. Mm -hmm. So I'm basically creaming myself over this article I read, (laughs) scarystudies.com. Oh, that's automatically a win. It's great. They have an article on liminal space. Ben, the author, he broke down why the Overlook Hotel from The Shining Mm -hmm. is a prime example 
of a liminal space in cinema. I would add the Hollywood Tower Hotel Heck yeah. to this list. Heck yeah, you would. From DJ McHale's Tower, Tower of Terror, Terror film that Kaylin covered so beautifully <laughs> back in October. Oh my God. Go back and listen to it. I, it's episode I feel like we're about four? to set a record. We might mention every episode that we've done Not so far. Not every episode. Not every oh episode. It also calls to mind the Cecil Hotel. Yes. Where Elisa Lamb went missing. Yeah. That documentary, a lot of people have problems with that documentary, but if you haven't un- like heard of the case... I have issues with the people they interviewed, but the, right. the documentary itself is good. That's an elevator inside of a creepy-ass hotel. <laughs> so, it's, so it's double liminal. <laughs> that's for our liminal space We'll go episode. there. I want to go there. I'm ready to go there now. Let's do a whole episode on it. Okay. But I did want to do a quick breakdown. <laughs> Speaking of all of our episodes that we've covered, oh, no. I wanted to do a quick breakdown of all the liminal spaces we've covered on the podcast so far that we never addressed because- We didn't talk about this. We hadn't discussed liminal spaces. I do like that idea. And it's not as many as I thought it would be, but we have the Hollywood Tower Hotel. We have the Cabin in the Woods in Phantom Cab. Mm-hmm. We have Zebo's Fun House. Yes. Hillwood's City Park at night, oh, specifically yeah. to do with the- Headless Cabby. Headless Cabby. The Haunted House Next Door from the Lonely Ghost episode. Mm-hmm. We have The Attic from the Hungry Hounds mm-hmm. episode. And I would go ahead and say The Library from Page Master. Oh, of course. That would be mm-hmm. one of my top like examples, probably. For sure. For Maybe sure. That's why I dream about libraries so much, is that they are kind of liminal. Because they're, they're liminal, very be- liminal. They're liminal between reality and fiction. Ooh. Oh. Movie theaters. Mm. I'm doing a shoulder dance right now. Anywhere that you have that, like, collect concert, the things that I love, concert halls, mm. all of that. It's very liminal because you're in, you're, you're not here and you're not there. You're both at once. Yep. You're in between. Mm-hmm. And it's not only those episodes, but it's now the abandoned Union Station and Old Engine 25. Mm. And speaking of trains as liminal spaces, let's get into some train history. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> it's not as bad as you think. Just this week, well, the past like two or three weeks, I've read lengthy passages in two different academic studies specifically focused on train travel and those who regularly utilize the railways as a fixture of their existence. Mm -hmm. These papers were written in just the last decade, which is incredible considering that train travel has been relatively commonplace in much of the world for at least the last hundred years. Yes. If nothing else, this tells us that the locomotive is still one of the most significant inventions of the modern era. Yes. Full disclosure on all of this, I don't know shit about trains. <laughs> I mean, um, he's going to teach us train history, though. So I did read a butt ton about <laughs> trains uh, in the last couple of weeks. To relate to us. To get through this, the earliest version of trains and railways were first built and used thousands of years ago. Wow. They're literally prehistoric. Almost 4,000 BC. Whoa. That's 1,500 years before the pyramids of Giza were built. That's 2,300 years before the last of the woolly mammoths died off. My timeline brain is exploding. It, it kind of blew my mind. But the modern railroad came with the first full-scale working railway steam locomotive mm-hmm. built in the UK in 1804 yes. by British engineer Richard Treftick. Mm-hmm. Trains were extraordinarily significant to the Industrial Revolution yes. in our modern era as a whole. Really one of the first catalysts for the Industrial Revolution. Oh, totally. It became the most efficient method of transportation of goods and travel for humans. 
Railroads completely changed the world, not only by virtue of existing, but by manipulating how people viewed the world. Mm -hmm. A journey that might have taken more than a week could now be traveled in less than two days. Yep. An article by the Quarterly Review in 1839 said, As distances were thus annihilated, the surface of our country would, as it were, shrivel in size mm -hmm. until it became not much bigger than one immense city. And that could be made even better <laughs> in the modern day. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> the U.S. Rail in being the US. <laughs> travelable in just a few hours. Imagine no traffic jams. Oh my God, I can't. Right. But at this time, perspective shifted. The world got smaller. The very dynamic of time was changed forever, quite literally, because train travel became so efficient and was so efficient that scheduling was a nightmare mm -hmm. due to there being no universal scheduling system. Wow. Everyone still used local time zone system. Yikes. <laughs> I've, I've thought about this forever and just never looked into how it go. got fixed. Here you go. The <laughs> local time zone system meant that your local time, where you lived, was measured from sun up to sundown. Because you were literally using the sun and shadows mm -hmm. to tell you what time of day it was. Sure. Therefore, regional time zones were invented to regulate arrival and departure times from station to station, replacing the local time zone system. I did not know this. So much sense. They invented time zone, regional time <laughs> Thank zones. Thank God, I mean. <laughs> because of trains. That, but be, because prior to that, there wasn't the travel between destinations. You had time to adjust, time to understand. There's so many variables. Right. The health and speed of your horses. In those shifts where it's so short and you have to plan from point A to point B, like that's when you would need a standardized understanding of it's this time here, but it's this time the there. The best you could gauge would be to pinpoint like a day or like a few days time frame. Yep. For traveling by ship, you're like, we plan to be there by Thursday. It might mm -hmm. be Friday. It might be Wednesday. There's no way to know. Right. But it's like- with the train, you kind of have to With know. trains, you went an exact route at an exact speed mm -hmm. and you knew exactly how long it was going to take you to get there. But ships and carriages and horses and walking- you never could tell before then. Mm -mm. This is the first time it was like a guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's really interesting. That is interesting. As described in the Liminal Narratives blog, which is a fantastic read, by the way. I, I'm going to go look it up. It's great. Before the regional time zone system was invented, trains were not only rapidly passing through time, but between time. Oh. Adding to this idea of liminality. Yes. Even in Victorian times, the train was seen as a capsule of adventure, yeah. anonymity, and transgression. Yeah. I like that description because it totally is. You had the opportunity to temporarily change your identity and be anyone you want to be, even if only briefly. You could veritably live between Identities. who you actually were and who you were pretending to be. Or who you plan to become when you reach your destination. Mm. See... The liminal space concept originated in anthropology, but I don't want to get into it because we're going to, I want to do, <laughs> okay, that's going yeah. back. That's like that's three tough. pages ago in my notes. I, I want to save that, okay. but you're, you're absolutely right. People on their way like, to a new life, a new world, a new adventure. It, I think of, uh, 
I think of Titanic. Of course, that was a ship, not a train. <laughs> but still, yeah. the the idea that you're boarding this tra- this transit as one person and mm-hmm. you're going to exit as another, which is, by the way, always true, regardless of whether you intend to reinvent your life. Because oh, yeah. the experiences yeah. that you have in this liminal space with these people that you might otherwise never meet or see again mm-hmm. are going to change you and have an effect on your personhood if you're any kind of you know, open-minded individual. Absolutely. We said uh, the coming-of-age narrative is a story of... Liminality. Liminality. But its origin in anthropology goes the rite of passage route. Mm -hmm. Because that's ancient. Yes. Now we talk about coming of age. It used to be rite of passage. Rite of passage. So that's where it originated. That's where the the term was coined, was the study into anthropological rites of passage. But Man. we'll save all those details. If you guys are into anthropology and sociology, just uh, whenever we get a Patreon, it's going to be full of that stuff. <laughs> it's going to be all about we, that. We go into it here, but we both are such nerds about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just you wait. Yeah, we are. So I'm glad you're on the same page. I'm glad you're into, into all this because mm. I spent way too much time <laughs> researching this. I'm glad you know all about uh, it now. Oh my God. I know a little bit. Like, like I said, this is the kind of stuff I want to like discuss drunkenly in a bar. Oh, this is the stuff I have discussed drunkenly <laughs> in a bar. We have I discussed I know. drunkenly in a bar. So if you ever meet me in a bar and I'm being weird, just bring up liminal space. Bring up liminal space. space and you'll have hours of conversation. And I'll talk about how being drunk at the bar is a liminal space. I was going to say that too. Gotcha. I was going to say that too, which I kind of love. I love the idea of that. Yeah. It's pretty good. You know what I'm about to mention? I can't help but mention it because I bring it up a lot. Bring it on. John Green, the author. I love his books. Incredible. But he, in one of his books, is it Looking for Alaska? I can't believe it. It's maybe The Fault in Our Stars. I don't know. Crap. I can't believe that I'm getting that twisted. Wouldn't know. But he talks about the when you're on the phone with someone, mm-hmm. he talks about right, late at night being on the phone, like kind of a lack of inhibition mm-hmm. and this being like a tenuous third space. Yeah. This is a place where you both are and you're not there and they're not here. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies, Elizabeth Town, has a great Ooh, scene yeah, like yeah. that where they're talking on the phone, which is one of the reasons I love that movie. This is a liminal space also. I would agree. Love it. Which is, it's just agree. my entire personality. So good job bringing this up <laughs> you're both this in separate is, uh, two different places on different, you're in different parts places. of the world but sure. you're at the same you're in the same moment in time is it you're not in the same place but you're in the same space yeah is that a way I of would, putting it i like that yeah yeah agreed interesting my favorite phenomena of humanity <laughs> being a person i don't really like being a person but i do like that there are some good moments <laughs> <laughs> they're few and far between those are some uh, of the better better life moments, I would say. Mm-hmm. But speaking of your identity on a train, being able to to be between who you are and who you're going to be or who you want to be, so could anybody else on that train. Also true. Thus making the train car a potentially dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. And that article breaks down a lot of the ways in which it was kind of dangerous and also scandalous to be on a train mm-hmm. in the Victorian era. Yes. Therefore... Writers have made train travel the setting for many a mysterious, thrilling, and even frightening story for nearly two centuries. And eventually, as with all liminal spaces that become recognized for what they are, these physical trepidations soon gave way to spiritual and supernatural musings, thus merging forever the train car with the ultimate liminal character, the ghost. Mm. As mentioned in the Liminal Narratives blog, there are many, quoting, narratives 
that see the railway carriage as a haunted space, home to the dead but not dead, the there but not there. Mm -hmm. I'm barely scratching the surface of the importance and impact that train travel has had on the psychological development of our species as a whole. But in a modest attempt to sum it all up into one sentiment, there are over 1.37 million kilometers of railroad tracks across the globe. That's roughly 850,000 miles for those of us still on the imperial system. And with that much ground cover, some lonely stretches are bound to be haunted. Bound to be. And while we're on topic. Finally. As promised. (laughs) Let's hear some examples of real-life ghost train hauntings. Yes, let's. Oh, do you have them? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send you half to read, and I'm going to read half. Okay, I'm excited. So I'm going to send you the first one here. I didn't want to send them to you early because I knew you'd read them. I want you to read them for the first time. I would have been good. On air. (laughs) I don't don't believe you at all. I don't believe you a lick. I also like to be prepared. I don't trust you any further than I can throw you, which is actually kind of far. far because you're pretty small you could probably throw me pretty far <laughs> so you fr- you trust me a lot is the point of that all right here you ready yeah here's the first one it's all you <clears throat> i'm doing the first one mm-hmm. it's sent your okay, way which email did, where no you? i just texted it to you oh you texted it i'm to just you. gonna text him to you perfect i'm on this guys i'm excited he surprised me with this <laughs> she didn't know I'm she was gonna read too, these. i'm about to read on air something that i've never read before no read it just read it i'm skimming don't skim because i'm scared All right, all right. Read it. (laughs) In North Carolina, a ghost train passes through Iridale County, reliving the moments before it originally wrecked in 1891, going excessive speeds. 23 people died after the train went airborne off the Boston Bridge. Boston, I don't know. Boston Bridge and crashed into the trees below. At the wreck location, the scene replays itself each anniversary of the wreck, described as grinding metal, screaming passengers, and a watchman's light. Ooh. Damn. Isn't that spooky? That's very spooky. Saskatchewan has the St. Louis light, a bright light that shines along an old abandoned rail line between Prince Albert and St. Louis. Hmm. This is Canada, if you didn't Yeah, know. we've got some Canadian okay. listeners out there. What's up, Canada? Canada? What's up, Saskatchewan? <laughs> Apparently, this has been debunked by some school children well, hey. doing a, um, a project to prove where the light comes from. Yeah. Um, but I'm not into it, so I say nay <laughs> on your debunking. I'm going to debunk your But good debunk. job on your, on your project. <laughs> <laughs> good job on your project. I'm glad you got an A+. Plus. I'm glad you're inspiring people to seek out science versus this mystical Yeah, that's probably uh, a better idea. Worldview. But, you know, whatever. Good for you. You're great and <laughs> awesome. But don't, don't ruin the fun, you know, for all of us. All right, here's your next one. Okay. It's uh, on its way to you. Hmm. Scotland. A North British railway passenger train crossed the old Tay Bridge during a violent storm. The bridge collapsed as the train was crossing, plunging into the waters below, killing every single person on board. 75 total, 70 passengers, and only 60 were accounted for. A phantom train can be seen on the old Tay Bridge on the anniversary of the wreck. Witnesses report screams as the apparition plunges into the waters below, disappearing from sight. I loved that one. That one got me. I have goosebumps. goosebumps. (laughs) That means there are still unaccounted for like 15 people at the bottom of that lake or whatever water that is. That were never found. Never found. Still there. Is there a date on that? You'd think they would go find them now. We don't know when that happened. I didn't write down dates. I Mm kind of just went with the legend. 
Wow. As it stands. That's a lot. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure you can find it. I think it's old. I mean, it's an old. What I'm gathering from this also is that Grandpa Phil just existing in life has Mm -hmm. heard these folk tales about trains. Well, he he did work for the railway. And worked for the railway. So they probably shared stories collectively among themselves. I think that he heard this legend of Old Engine 25 Mm -hmm. when he worked for the railroad. Yeah, that's cool. I don't think he necessarily 100% made it up. Right. I think he was going... You know, there was a story was of an story old train. Let me let me see what I can do. Yeah, I'll, I'll whip something up real quick. <laughs> That's cool. I, I think he. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it always lies yeah, somewhere in the middle. I do too. But I have, I have two more ghost trains. Okay. The most famous American ghost train is the Abraham Lincoln funeral train. Oh. Have you heard about this? No. I've heard of this one before. Every year in April, a phantom train runs from Washington D.C. to Springfield, Illinois where Lincoln was buried. Mm -hmm. His body did travel from D.C. to Mm -hmm. Springfield. As it passes through town, any given town, it stops clocks and watches in surrounding areas. Whoa. Not only has it been reported in many different places along the same route that the funeral train took, it happens at the same time of year that the funeral train ran. And it's reported that it's not just one train, but two. The first train has a ghostly band playing soundless instruments, and the second has the flat car that carried the coffin as it passed. Wow. It's said that the nation mourned Lincoln's death for three weeks as his body toured the Northeast, with people lining the streets to catch a glimpse and say their goodbyes. In that level of mourning, in a space that is already quite liminal to begin with, should be enough to generate a residual annual haunting. That, whoa. I like that one a lot, but yeah. I think my favorite and the most important one here I'm giving to you. Oh, no. <laughs> so you get to read this. It's the last one. Wow, I feel the pressure. There you go. Lots of pronunciations. Oh, thanks. It's Swedish. <laughs> You're awakening my class, sitting in the classroom, counting paragraphs to see what I would have to read before. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've done that plenty of times. <laughs> okay. Sweden has the Silver Pillin, or the Silver Arrow, a famous train that is said to be seen in abandoned tunnels or passing through stations at high speed after midnight. Some claim that the Silver Arrow will sometimes stop to pick up passengers who are either never seen again or don't get off the train until weeks, months, or years later. Mm-hmm. There's an abandoned metro station in Kimlinge on Line 11 in Stockholm County. It's called a ghost station because it's surrounded by wilderness and was only half built before construction was halted and abandoned. It's said that the Silver Arrow will stop in Kimlinge, and locals say, only the dead get off at Kimlinge. Whoa. Isn't that cool as shit? (laughs) Whoa, that is a lot. There's way more to the Silver Peelin or Silver Pillin uh, story than I wrote down. This is just what was the most compelling to me for the purposes of our uh, episode here. So it's kind of, it, it was never finished. So it sits abandoned. Right. It's like, again, it's layers of liminality. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And while all these stories factor into the inspiration for the haunted train urban legend of Hillwood, I would say the genius minds behind Hey Arnold were most influenced by the Silver Arrow of Sweden, Mm -hmm. picking up unsuspecting passengers Mm -hmm. and whisking them away to the land of the dead. Wow. Yeah. And speaking of Old Engine 25, let's bridge this liminal gap between reality and legend. <laughs> this is the history of Engine 25 as it would be if this were a real train. Okay. Again, I don't know anything anything about trains <laughs> at all, but I thought this was pretty cool. Just the ghost ones. So 40 years ago would have been 1956. 
So in 56, old engine 25 would have been a 482 mountain type steam locomotive that worked for the Great Northern Railroad. You can see Great Northern on the side of the train. Mm -hmm. The Great Northern Railroad was an American class one railroad running from St. Paul, Minnesota to Seattle, Washington, founded in 1889. Mm -hmm. It was the creation of James Hill, a 19th century railroad entrepreneur, and it was the northernmost transcontinental railroad route in the U.S. It ultimately merged with three other railroads in 1970 to form the Burlington Northern Railroad, and then ultimately merged with the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railway to form the Burlington Northern and Santa Fe Railway in 1996, Okay. the same year yeah. this episode aired. Wow. And while we're analyzing fact versus fiction, let's break down the mad engineer. Let's. This is all found on the Hey Arnold wiki fandom. Okay. Here are some theories as to why he went insane. Did you have any when you were like watching the episode? Did any of them? I never really little, thought about why. I guess I was like, Yeah, huh. when I was little, I was kind of like, yeah, that happens to grown people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people go crazy. That makes sure. sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I took it at face, at face value, I think. Well, the, the first and most obvious is mental illness mm -hmm. and maybe a lapse in medication. Nothing's wrong with taking meds. Take them. Take them. They're if you great. need them, take them. If you need them, they're great. Maybe he was suicidal for whatever reason, mm -hmm. including lady troubles or money problems. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I, like the conclusion I came to was just that he was like suicidal. Yeah. He was on his way. Yeah. You know. That makes sense. Third is possessed by the devil, Well, which is how he could have driven the train to the fiery underworld. Yeah. You probably need need a, a guide to get to the underworld. <laughs> mm -hmm, probably. I would add to this myself, a possible deal with the devil. Mm. And this is simply the night the devil came to collect. <laughs> Yikes. And the engineer gets his comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, okay. I'll, yeah. Potentially. Deals with the devil, man. It's not a hellhound coming for him. It's a ghost train. Ghost train. Come on, ride that train. Hey, ride it. <laughs> Downsizing due to low revenues, which was common during the 1950s when interstate highway systems and long-distance trucking flourished. Ironically, yeah, when that took over the United States and made it mm -hmm. much more difficult for passenger railway to, railways to come back. Right. It's all been cargo. God. And it's possible the engineer had knowledge that he was to be laid off. Um, so if you combine this with the possible financial troubles and the liminality of an existential crisis mm -hmm. and fear of the future, the engineer's mind could have snapped, yeah. causing him to take revenge on the company by derailing the train and not only costing the Great Northern Railroad even more money, but also tarnishing its reputation. I kind of like that one, actually. <laughs> that was my favorite one. Yeah. There were reasons why it's all kind of blurry, but I, I like that one a lot. Yeah, I think that holds up. As, as a standalone theory. Yeah, that holds up. That one holds up for me. I'm with it. Um, the fandom's favorite theory is that Engine 25 wasn't an original and great northern locomotive, but was purchased from another railroad. And being of a lesser quality, it was unpopular with the engine crews. So the engineer pretended to go mad and intentionally crashed the train to wreck it beyond repair, leaving it to be sold for scrap. So I'm going to break this theory down. This theory has some credibility because Engine 25 doesn't look anything like a real-life Great Northern locomotive. Okay. In reality, it looks like a Norfolk and Western K1 class 482. Wow. I looked it up. We're getting deep I know. in the trains. I don't know anything about trains. 
But I looked it up and it looks a lot like that kind of train. Okay. It also, I looked it up. It looks nothing like a Great Northern okay. train. So it's pretending to be something that it's not, really. This could explain why the engineer's glove was found attached to the throttle. Because maybe he set the train into motion, broke off the throttle, fixing his glove to it so as to fake his own death. Hmm. Therefore, when someone told the story years later, they said, only his glove was found still holding on to the throttle, and someone could have taken that to literally mean nothing at all was found except the glove and the throttle, mm -hmm. as legends do tend to mm -hmm. dissolve and unfold over time. Mm -hmm. The only reason I don't buy this theory, in totality at least, is because the engineer would have nothing to gain. Right. Um, if he fakes his own He'd death be, or actually dies. Yeah, he would be giving everything to... That cause. Yeah. I mean, hmm. he can't, even if he's faking it, he can't go back to work. I mean, he, he's right. supposed to be dead. Maybe that's the thing, though. Maybe it's a combination and that, that crisis of identity is leading him to pursue something totally different as a new person. Possibly. I mean, I think the only way it works in his favor, other than that, I guess, is conspiracy and someone offered him money to do it. Or that. Okay. And he didn't need to work. Or hmm. maybe he was offered a job with Norfolk and Western. Maybe they lost money on the deal selling their train to Great Northern because they said, this is a piece of shit. We'll give you chump change for it. <laughs> and they sold it losing money or whatever. And they said, hey, hey, buddy, hey, wreck that train. We're going to give you so much money. Wow. And you can be, I don't know, CEO. I have no idea how this works. We are really but true criming the look, hell I'm out getting of this into fictional this. train. Research. Three weeks of research. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's somewhere between the layoffs and the downsizing and him being pissed at the company and maybe Norfolk and Western having hand in, in convincing him to do something crazy. Yeah, no, I'm with you. That That's just if it was just hmm. a real life thing made to <laughs> seem supernatural. Right. But if it was actually a haunted thing. I like to think that the devil came to collect. Yeah. And he happened to be at work at the time. That's and the devil, certainly the best supernatural. The devil drove that train all the way to hell. The devil went down to Georgia on the train. <laughs> I have no idea what happened, but it's all super fun to speculate on. <laughs> Whatever the reason, the engineer indeed wrecked that train. And tonight is the anniversary of the wreck. Yep. And Arnold and Gerald and Helga have been waiting at the abandoned Union Station for hours it's now midnight, the 13th hour. The time and the space are both liminal. The veil is thin and anything is possible. And Gerald is singing the Haunted Train Blues. Ooh. Honestly, I do love it. I do too. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love it so much. I don't know who wrote these lyrics. I'm assuming it was either one, one of the writers yeah, or it was... Hell yeah. I would uh, also point out as well, Arnold uses a harmonica in the previous episode the previous in the um the list in the list also in general tell me if this is true for you listener tell us if this is also true for you hmm. they sing the blues in so many 90s and 80s i think you're right things they sing the blues i think there was still a lot of railroad nostalgia yeah like harmonicas and, and blues the harmonica, and the blues and I just think of so, so many things. That was such a common thing in my mind. Like, I totally understood that immediately. And I shouldn't have being, you know, eight or nine years old, however I was. I think you're right. I think it's because the blues, as as seen depicted in The Office. I was I was going to say that too. It's, it's something that you can sing from the heart. 
You can make up on the spot. Yes, for those reasons. It's vamping in the moment. I thought of Dawson's Creek when they get drunk for the first time and... Uh, Dawson and Andy sing on stage at a club. They sing the blues and they do the same. It's the yeah, same pattern. Yeah. It's the same rhythm. It's the same idea. Um, That's so funny. It was such a, like, I, I, as a kid, I don't, like, I just got it, you know? It just makes sense. And I don't know why it made so much sense to me. It checks a box that Yeah, that we, we didn't understand. even know. Yeah. yeah. I don't, we don't know why, but I did. They say he lost his mind, went crazy on that day, mm. ran his train right off the tracks, and drove it straight to, Mm-mm-mm. hey, Mm-mm. <laughs> where's the engineer? Been waiting all night long. Better show up soon, or I'm going to have to say so long. <laughs> <laughs> Been waiting all night to train. Oh, I love it. I would have sang it for you, but. That was that was pretty good. Mm. That's more of my like beat spoken like spoken beat, word yeah. poetry. Mm-hmm. Beat Nick. Mm. Woo woo. I'm into that too. And just as they're about to call it quits, they hear the actual train. It pulls in, and they walk into the open train car, commenting on the white light. Helga says, "It's a victims of forces we can't possibly comprehend." I have that quote written. <laughs> it's a good because one. I just love Helga, nine-year-old Helga, standing there. We're the victims of forces we can't possibly comprehend. <laughs> she also noticed how tall she was compared to them. So tall. Like she's not always shown that girl, as right? that tall. Yeah. But yeah, she, was she was particularly tall, tall in this episode. She was, tall. she was a tall girl. She's a tall girl. Can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember when, when girls were taller than all the boys for like exactly, yeah. a year. Exactly. I was going to say we all knew that time frame. I recall that. Didn't last long for most people. Mm-hmm. They try to get off, but the door shut and the train moves. They smell the rotten eggs. They hear the horrible music. The lights go out and they say it's the zone of darkness. And in this darkness, we have a classic <laughs> Hey Arnold gag. A breathing. Is this the first time? It had to. No, I don't think it could be. It'd have to be done Just before this because yeah. this is a humorous moment. Sure. I think it would be confusing to suddenly have Brainy wheezing <laughs> behind Helga. He approaches as a super scary shadow. And they open the door and throw him from the train. But I'm like, if the doors open that easily and you're that you scared, get out. just jump out the train. Yeah. <laughs> just get I out. I was also just mortified that they would just toss a nine-year-old child off of a moving from train. From a moving train. Water. Like, I know. You'll be fine, Brainy. They they beat up on Brainy all the time. It's pretty dark. I mean, he would have died. It is dark. But... I agree. And then they enter the fiery underworld. Which looks just like the same factory Those fire. flashes of red as they are approaching. Ooh, it's super, that is it's super spooky. into baby Kaylin's brain. Yeah. I remembered it like it was yesterday watching. Because it feels real at that point too. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, dang. They're really, uh, they're really about to do this thing, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And there are silhouettes walking around the interior of this place. They look like lost souls. Yes, they Ambling do. through purgatory. And that, like it's super. that stuck in, like you said earlier. Man, it's one of the images that stays. These visuals are wild. I can't believe they let us watch this. <laughs> they they got away with a lot. I think I think that's partially why they couldn't say like, it's hell. Right, yeah. Or it's the devil because I think. They couldn't take it that far. But they took it far enough that I got there really easily. Oh, easily because, you know, we're us, but. We're us, yeah. I just Trauma. think. I think people would have thought of it as like a super evil episode. Yeah, like demonic sort of thing. Way too yeah. demonic. Yeah, they'd have been like, this is too heavy for children. They had to dial it back. Mm-hmm. And speaking of, they get a bright idea. We're going to take this fire hose. Pretty smart. <laughs> it's pretty smart. Fire and they hose him down. And they find out he's just a factory worker in a hard hat. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we learn that the train is for the transport of steel mill workers. Yep. The rotten egg smell is just sulfur from the steel mill. And the lights in that car are always going on and off. And the horrible music is the engineer's (laughs) accordion. (laughs) He plays polka music. He has a thing for the accordion. Uh, Well, I suppose some people don't appreciate the polka. Okay, does that explain everything? And the engineer is voiced by Dan Castlaneta, who also voices Grandpa Phil. And uh, he's just a guy who loves to play polka music. (laughs) He's just got his accordion. I mean, there's nothing scarier than polka music, am I right? (laughs) Polka, polka. So now they find out it's just a normal old train. Uh, and Grandpa Phil picks them up from the train station. And they're talking. And, you know, he's pulled one over on them. Mm-hmm. I, I chalk this up to his knowledge of how the train stations and the railways work. Because he used to work for the train, mm-hmm. you know, train company, the railroad. He knew they'd ride it kind of to the end of the line like they did with the, yeah. the buses. He knew where it would go if that train happened to stop that night and pick them up. Like he knew they'd be fine. Uh, it would just give him a really good scare. I think you set us up, Grandpa. Well, at least you weren't bored, were you? There is no haunted train. Well, now I didn't say that. Mm-mm. You sure didn't. So then we get this really great moment where Brainy, he's still alive. Thank God. He's sitting on this fence as the apparition of the train goes tearing down the tracks. Yeah, scary. The mad engineer rides on the cow catcher playing an accordion and mm-hmm. singing the blues. Sure Sang in the blues. Sang in them. Based off what I found, the mad engineer, the singing voice, is voiced by Jim Lang, who is the show's composer. Yeah. Yeah. So That's I found so cool. I found nothing that said otherwise. There's Man, no credit. I got so excited. I, my note on this was tell me everything you know about the song because I still sometimes find myself singing the song. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's Jim Lang. That's pretty much it. It's that. Yeah, it's it's was written and composed by Jim Lang. He sang it. I love that. If I'm wrong, correct me. But I, I yeah, literally I found nothing about who sang it except for on the wiki. It says Matt Engineer. Voice Jim Lang. Okay. So I think it's him. That's amazing. But looking at what he looks like, I would not picture this voice for him. So I really <laughs> well, think they, I'm they wrong. They used that gag on Harold too. Yeah, I don't know. Mr. Wynn. That's true. That's they, true. You never know about the voice of somebody and what it could be capable of. Very bluesy, very sultry, very well done. Spooky too. I, I remember Super spooky. being kind of freaked out by the voice of the engineer. Same. Because it's, it's like to be that way because it's it's jarring. You don't expect it. It's this deep, garbled, like you kind of half understand him, but you kind of don't get what he's saying. Deep, dark. And it ends in this very liminal, uh, metaphysical he becomes the cloud vapor from the exhaust mm-hmm. out of the smokestack and his face is formed there. And then we go to the credits and that's pretty much the end of the old Man. episode. Yeah, it's a good one. The song carries us out. You know, I thought too about, you know, Grandpa Phil going to pick him up. la di da di do You said like he knew they'd be fine. Yeah. This is the definition of Latchkey era when they were like, yeah, just go wherever you, you want. You know what? We don't care. Go we'll have this later. adventure with an abandoned train station. You'll be fine. I'll pick You'll you up totally at, you totally okay know, in this big city that we live in. That would never, ever happen for nine-year-olds today. Never. <laughs> Even in a big city. Those kids would have gone missing. They wouldn't have made it they home. They would have. That, that's what I was going to say. The scarier oh part of this whole thing is that three nine-year-olds were unsupervised in this city for this amount of time. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> And those time. people that they found at the end of the line, you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. Never know. So. That's the haunted train. That's the haunted train. You guys, he's been 
given me updates on his research for this whole entire process and i've been so pumped to hey you want to hang out trains. can't i'm researching can't, can't. i'm reading, reading the trains gotta do I the have trains. to finish the script the i think i told you i have to finish the script like i don't know six times over yeah, the last you're like it's i know it's gonna week. be today <laughs> today's the day yeah but today is actually a day and now it is yours listener <laughs> now it is yours <laughs> Tell us about your liminal space experiences, please. Even if, you know, we didn't go into super deep depths yeah. like we might have wanted to, we probably will at some point. And I'd love to hear whether they're train related or not. I can expound when we do our episode, but my most profound liminal experiences have been in graveyards. Yeah, fair. Absolutely. Honestly, I've had psychological and existential liminal experiences mm-hmm. where I've felt very lost or trapped or whatever in mm-hmm. my, my life. But physically speaking, sure. Graveyards. I would say airports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have airports. Just because it is twisted, like in my head. Super twisted. In the time zones and the travel and all of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. is disorienting to me. I think that's a lot where the idea came from too as like- As being correlated to travel specifically. I think it's the disorientation of it. The disorientation that comes with, yeah. And like the warped perspective of space and time and you're, how, you're like, how did I get this far how this quick? I, yeah, where am I? Who am I? Mm-hmm. What time is it? <laughs> and speaking of, I have some final thoughts. Like I said earlier, I'd get into how the correlation between motion and the liminal yeah. okay. visual aspects of it. Oh, and sure. Looking out the window. I don't really know that I have anything really fleshed out, but this is just something to, to think about. Um, a lot of what I read emphasized this paradox of two opposites existing within the same space. You wait for a train. The train's whole function is to convey using motion. So you wait for the motion. And then once you're in motion, you're immobile and you wait once again. You're still waiting. You're Mm -hmm. still waiting. But you're in motion at the same time. Mm -hmm. And everything outside the windows visually appears to be zipping by in a blur. Yes. And the only way to see something clearly is to let your eyes watch a moment from point A to point B. I get so sick. Me too. <laughs> My motion sickness is... It looks like the outside is moving, oh boy. but it's actually immobile. Mm-hmm. Although you're in a vehicle that's zipping by, mm-hmm. you remain immobile inside of a train car. That is completely unchanged by the speed or the pace at which it's traveling. Yes. The Liminal Narratives blog puts much emphasis on what can be seen from the railway carriage windows. Mm-hmm. And... One of the studies I read by Melisanti Saliba called Moments of Liminal Space, Methodologies and Practices for the Study of Transition says, The liminal takes place in transition and reveals ideas that can only be seen within the blur of mobility. And another article I read from allocation.com said that liminality occurs at boundary times where two opposing ideals meet. This is why the veil between worlds is at its thinnest, because it's a meeting of two directions where a traveler must make a choice. Mm-hmm. So all this goes into the idea of liminal space, and I think it applies directly to travel mm-hmm. and transportation, because it's all transition. Yeah, totally. I'm fascinated by all of this. Do you know, I am too, and I was just to kind of relate it back to, you know, <laughs> this whole podcast that we're doing, going back to our childhoods, thinking back, mm-hmm. this idea has fascinated me from being a very small child in the backseat of my parents' minivan. Mm-hmm. This idea of 
going from one place to another, a road trip where you're having yes. this moment in time that is all confined, but you're getting somewhere else mm-hmm. and looking at things out the window and ex- the life that you imagine is going by. And then thinking about the fact that all the people in the cars around you are going to their own destinations, yes. doing their own things. I got into so many just deep thought rabbit holes being a very small child mm-hmm. in my parents' backseat. Me too. Thinking like that. That is what I spent my time thinking about as like a eight-year-old, seven-year-old. When I realized that people in other vehicles were real and had their own lives and had yeah, their own they're existences, not just background. Mm-hmm. they're not just here for me, that blew <laughs> my mind your world. <laughs> as a kid. I was like, whoa. I'm not the center of the universe, actually. I became, yeah, that's, that's when I began people watching yeah. at a very young age because I was so fascinated by people in their cars next to me. What are they doing? Where are they going? Who yeah, are they? What's your life like? What kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? Yeah. So it's this is all really cool in theory. I don't really know. I don't have a breakdown of this specific thing. Uh, there was just a lot of emphasis put on the that blur of mobility mm-hmm. being liminal and how that it that itself can reveal a truth to you mm-hmm. about how the world works. Like almost like staring into a crystal ball. Yeah. Like it's just you're seeing another space. It's murky and obscure, but that's the only way to see truth is to peer through the obscure mm-hmm. and see something that's there that most people would miss because they're not looking. Yeah. I think like that's the concept behind this. It's things that don't really have explanations or even words to fully describe the experience. Right. So like I said, it's a cool theory, if not an outright explanation as to why a lot of places are haunted, why the energy at certain times of the day or the year is particularly electric. Mm-hmm. Just strange. So I have a question. Hit me. I know you've ridden ghost trains, but have you ever ridden a train? Not Going like- as a passenger on a rail, like a rail passenger. No, I've never like bought a train ticket. And traveled. I never traveled by train. Traveled by train. That's, yeah, that's what I'm asking. I've always wanted to. Yeah, me too. I think my motion sickness would be too rough, but I have um, traveled by train in Europe. And Mm. for me, that was also another one of those moments in time where everything that I was seeing go past me in the window, like I'm describing it as if it's moving. It wasn't. I was. Right. But everything that I saw pass by in the window was unfamiliar to me. I was seeing German cities that I had never- Yep even knew existed. Mm -hmm. And that was also a very like transient sort of time in my head because I was like, that is insane that there are all these places that I'm seeing in this hour long train ride or whatever, that all these places exist just like I'm existing right now here in (laughs) Alabama. That pla- that city, that building that I saw on a train, entire worlds of existence, nine years ago, whatever entire worlds of existence, Mm -hmm. just so like separate from me. It's wild. And that thinking about that also is crazy. It kind of depresses me to think about. Me too. But, it, but do you know what's funny? It makes me sad. Is that it, it also makes me, it, it's a weird, uh, it's so funny to be talking about this on a podcast and just like, <laughs> this is my deep innermost thought because it is. That's why we're here. That thought, I think when I am depressed, when I'm, when I'm very like zoned into my own life, mm-hmm. that thought actually helps me. Because I'm like, life's still moving. Things are still happening for people. Hmm. You know, like there are all these lives and there's all this existence that's occurring that isn't bound or upset by or whatever isn't isn't experiencing this bad thing that I'm experiencing. Oh, yeah. I could see that. That helps me, actually. Hmm. It's a weird... And I've, I've gone to that specific space with it also since I was a very young child. Hmm. I guess I have had moments like that, too. 
Sure. I don't know why. That's, that's wild. That's such I a weird know. thing to confess to think because it's like something that's not necessarily a conscious thought that I've ever verbalized. Really? But hmm. it is something that I go back to in my own head. It makes sense. Zooming, it's zooming out essentially is all it is. is zooming out and trying not to look at my problems as the consuming. I think I've, no, I, I've done something similar thought about like space. I've gone to like, yes. I go to space and I'm like, you know what? There are whole universes out <laughs> I, there. Yeah, we, we all do that. We're all just floating on a rock. That are not affected by what I'm going We're through right now. We're all just floating on a rock. That is all that this is. I'm like, none of this, you know, matters. <laughs> mm. All eyes on me. Everything's going to be fine. Bo Burnham. Mm. I'll be fine. Yeah. The world's going to keep spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think you're, I think you're onto something there. Wow. All this connects in such a weird way. Who would have thought that we would go here after with a haunted train hey episode? Arnold. Hey Arnold. <laughs> because it I comes mean, from such existential thought processes. Hey Arnold is a very existential show. It really is. Which is one of the reasons it's my favorite, favorite cartoon. You might like this des- description of Jim Lang and his art style on the Hey Arnold uh, wiki. His writing is direct, atmospheric, and emotional. Mm-hmm. which I think had a lot of emphasis, like had a lot of play into mm-hmm. the show as a whole. Yeah. And brought- He knew where he He knew was what he was doing with, with like Absolutely. their story arcs and the, the poignant moments. He really brought all those to the forefront, which is what sound does. Yeah. That's what music does. Man, if we go with music, I could go on 10 more tangents. <laughs> <laughs> but if that's all we have, I will leave everyone with a statement. On liminality. Yeah, okay. From Richard Rohr, an American spiritualist. He said, This is the sacred space where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, we start idealizing normalcy. Ding, ding, ding. And who wants to be normal? Not me. Not me. Change your worldview. Change your perspective. Give me all that liminal space. And this goes back to Ethan and Maya Hawk. <laughs> they <laughs> talked about this too. Whoa, full yeah. circle. Full circle. Damn. Did it again. Check. Boom. Nailed it. Another perfect episode. <laughs> oh, <and> that's pretty <laughs> dark. <laughs> Good job, Christian. Thank you for this hauntingly beautiful Hey mm. Arnold recap. Thank you. It was my pleasure. There's so much out there about ghost trains. Go read about them. <laughs> Go do it. Get sucked into the three-week rabbit hole that Christian was in. Emphasis on the suck. Thanks for listening. This has been a lot of fun. Glad to finally get all this out of my head. I'm trying to keep my head wrapped (laughs) around this. brain dumped and now he is is done. I'm tired. It's time for dinner. (laughs) Dinner and more alcohol. Thank you, listener, for being here. We appreciate you so much. We do. Follow us on the socials. Yeah. We're trying to post more stuff on there. That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Look us up. We're out there. Send us an email. That's pretty dark podcast, yeah. gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me at Christian Bastard Mott. <laughs> Follow Kaylin. Kaylin. <laughs> Kaylin. I think it has three ends. I'm not sure. Is that, that's it? Just Kaylin with three ends? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Follow us. Say what's up. We're dying to meet you. <laughs> dying to meet you. Wow. <laughs> Old faithful. Good job. <laughs> We also want to give a big shout out to the guys at Up All Night Podcast. Ooh, yeah. It's by Private Island Presents on Instagram. And they are also an Are You Afraid of the Dark podcast, which is super cool. I love that there are so many of us that want to look back at this part of our lives. Um, We've been chatting with Cortland over at their podcast, and he's super cool and has given us a lot of, um, you know, advice and things to think about. And so we definitely appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Thanks, dudes. It's cool to be part of the community. Thanks, dudes. Yeah, go go check those guys out. Yeah, I'm just gonna play the old uh, the Mad Engineer song oh, by Jim I can't wait. by yeah, Jim Lang. Guys. 
to take us out of this episode. That's all I got. Let it take us out. Out of space and time. Well, until next time, guys. (laughs) See you later. Bye. Bye. And up in the smoky clouds, you can almost recognize the ghost of a crazy engineer with fiery silver eyes. I said, Can't you hear the haunted train? Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark. Written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So until next time, sweet dreams, everyone.